The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is Jordan Grace, and you're listening to the Social Suplex Podcast Network. BWB, this is One Nation Radio. You better get it right. Rich Ladder, James Boyd came to give him life. The Blackest Wrestling Podcast has come to kick all ass and drop his six feet if they kick it trash. Word, let me welcome y'all to something different. And if you dig it, man, you should let some friends listen. We be getting it in. This on the regular, dude. Ravish and flow, but this shit rule. See, James don't rap, so I had to break it down. The whole network, man, we coming for the crown. Raps in the columns, I keep them both covered Making the beats too, so the listeners can bump it Hit us with the rating, yeah, I'm saying it's a five Before you hit it, talk, bob your head side to side It's One Nation Radio, and this is the beginning It's Rich, and I'm here with James It's time to listen to One Nation The power of the this is Mike Sempervivi from WrestlingObserver.com. Check me out on Wrestling Observer Live every day. And also check out your boys, Rich and James, on One Nation Radio. Uh, this is Kenny Omega. We're listening to One Nation Radio. Check it out, guys. These guys know what's up. Big Kenny Omega fans. That's all that counts to me. Goodbye and good night. Bang. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of One Nation Radio. I'm James Boyd. It is James Boyd and James Boyd alone on this show. Uh, I totally forgot that it was Valentine's Day and Rich is a married man. And that shit kind of don't fly. Uh, I'm sure we all can understand that. And uh, I wish him the best on uh, tonight. And I wish Catherine the best tonight and whatever they do. Um, I don't know if I should just cut that or whatever else, but I guess we're just going to keep on going. Um Last night was Super Bowl, and it was not a particularly good game. Um, It did have its moments in the second half in particular, but uh, the game was kind of dry, not going to lie. This was not uh, Chiefs Bills from a few weeks ago, not in the slightest, but um, we did have a close game um, in in ways I I felt like uh, Sean McVay's game plan uh, kind of, kind of made it closer than it should have been. Um, and the refs did help when they gifted a uh, f- touchdown to um, Buddy off of uh, the face mask non-call on Jalen Ramsey. But whatever, it is what it is. Um, the Rams are the 2021 NFL champions. Um, kind of happy for them. Got to say, they have a lot of people on that team that like I would have liked to see win. Like I've always liked Von Miller. This is a second uh, title. I've always liked um, Aaron Donald. This is his first ring. Um, Stafford was in my in the NFC North as me being a Vikings fan. I didn't mind him. He was all right. Um, I think y'all need to chill on um, the Hall of Fame talk. I know that's not most people, but there are some people out there, and that is the lunatic fringe. Nah, man. That dude, that Hall of Fame, that certain bar. We can't just be letting everybody in here. Um, obviously he has more merit than like Julian fucking Edelman when some of you, uh, crazies 
talk about people getting into the NFL Hall of Fame, or sorry, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but um, Stafford just, his career doesn't stack up. He has the numbers. He doesn't have the, uh, the accolades like being an Offensive Player of the Year or a uh, Pro Bowler multiple times. Like He's made one Pro Bowl. Like, if you're going to look at guys, that if he gets in, then we got to start putting in Tony Romo and um, Matt Ryan and, you know, uh, guys of that ilk that were flat out better than him for multiple years uh, and were actually like top eight-ish quarterbacks for the majority of the prime. Stafford was always like on that outside. He just had the numbers that looked pretty while losing and losing and losing. But um, that is not to say that he was not a very talented guy, as you saw throughout that game when, you know, in times his uh, his play um, elevated some of the um, things that Sean Vey wanted to do. I thought that Sean Vey got too committed to the run game, which is always a folly of guys like him that want to use the play action pass to um, open up passing lanes. Um, I thought that they lost way too many downs, um, running downs, to where he should have abandoned the run sooner, um, but he stayed committed to it. And quite frankly, had they not had their issue with um, tight end depth, maybe they don't fix that. Maybe they don't, you know, ditch um, their traditional Rams formations where you see a lot of run first play action off of it type formations and go into, um, you know, tray and trips um, and more, you know, three and four receiver uh, sets to, you know, um, make it happen. Uh, but, you know, the game's closer than it should have been. Uh, I thought Stafford played better in the game. I, you know, he had two interceptions. One was off the receiver's hands. The other one was an arm punt. You know, as fact, you know, uh, not all turnovers are the same. Or, but you know, uh, the the real answer anyway, or the real uh, story of the game was over time. It held up at first, and then um, Burrow was getting the ball out of his hand really fast, really fast, and um, faster than you expect. But over time, as the game wore on, that defensive line they they started they started affecting the game, and there's only so long you're going to deny Von Miller and Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd with uh, that level of talent along the offensive line uh, or the lack thereof in Cincinnati. And over time, they 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 started just to wear them out. Um, like Von Miller in that last drive. Um, as after Cup makes his second touchdown, uh, the game, the game, the ultimate, ultimately the game winner. Um, when they had, when the Rams went out there to protect that lead, Von Miller made just he, he kept getting to to Burrow and making him have to throw it a little bit faster than he was ready to. Um, and then you know, uh, third and one uh, on the final drive of the game, they call a run play, thinking they're going to you know with with timeouts in their in their uh, back pocket, thinking they're going to you know catch get a pick up a quick first down on a run play call timeout or just you know uh spike it nope ran it up the middle Aaron Donald makes a play stops him short so it's fourth and short and then fourth and short Donald he just <laughs> he he gets the burrow and he hasn't wrapped up and burrow has to just throw the ball in the air hope that someone can catch it and hits the ground um the game's over and uh Donald man he 
that dude has been the best defensive player in, in football for, for years now. Um, and to see him finally win a ring out and to see the way that he did it, where he basically closed out the game on his own, along with, you know, the help of, uh, like the people we mentioned, plus Ashawn Robinson even got in on the, on the sack party. Um, that was pretty fun to see just a, a team that was built to win now actually won. And we don't have to go over the whole not uh, the whole like should they have done it should they have tried to win like I think I think w- we as a society kind of want to um, second guess things and uh, want our cake and eat it too and um, when you have a team in sports that is good that has the talent to get there and you feel like you make a play that you or make a move to try to um, Add a add a critical boost at at a certain spot to try to win the title, um, and I think a lot of times that doesn't work out. But in this case, with you know trading all those draft picks to get a Von Miller, to get a Jalen Ramsey, to get a Odell Beckham, or they picked them off of, off of the waivers. You get my point. Um, they were all in um, to get Stafford as well. They were all in. They had a they had a a team that was going to win the title a few years ago. They didn't do it. They had to revamp um, after you know the damage from the girly contract, and they were they were committed to winning. Um, and that's all you can ask for out of your franchise is to, when you have the talent to contend, do whatever it takes in that window to go get you a title. And they maybe weren't the best team in the league this year. You probably say it was still the Bills. Probably say it was still the Chiefs. But you, if you have a window. You got to keep fighting till you get there. Um, or you got to see it through, my boy. And that's the best way to put it. And they did that. And I thought it was big for them moving out of St. Louis back to Los Angeles uh, to put a, to try to get this done. There's a city of stars. There's a city that wants to see a winner. Um, a region that wants to see a winner. And they got it done. And I think it's going to carry a lot of favor and makes makes a transition you know, into in that big, nice stadium that will house a WrestleMania um, next year, um, kind of getting that fan base because that's a lot of that's a lot of fa- people that are still Raiders fans. Um, I think I think this is a step in, in the right way f- forward for uh, trying to you know own that the territory, if you will. Um, so I'm really happy. For, I'm really happy for the Rams and uh, that nucleus of guys because there's a lot of guys I like on the team. Like I've always liked Whitworth. As a dude is 40, 40. He's basically telling people this is his last game. Like, I, we're, we're long past the days of offensive linemen playing to their 40. And he's do, he did it. And, you know, um, you know, didn't even play, missed a game, missed a playoff game this year. Um, so happy for him to basically get one on his way out. Um, happy for all the defensive line guys that I mentioned. Happy, super happy for Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey is, is one of the, Maybe he's not Mount Rushmore, but he's definitely one of the panionic players uh, in Florida State football history. Um, a dude that like I love from day one. He start day one starter as a freshman on the national championship team in 2013, and to see like what all the things in different positions he played from year to year to year, from going from a safety to um, you know based like a nickelback to a boundary corner. Like it was so impressive seeing that dude for three years before staying night. That dude was always a dog. So like to see what he's doing in the NFL was never surprised me. Never a surprise. Um, uh, you know, there's a, 
on the other side, I feel bad for um, I feel bad for Burrow. Uh, that was rough. I feel bad for him for the part where he got his ass kicked, but I'll give him, I'll give him this. Like he kept getting up and he kept trying. He never got gun shy at any point during the game. Um, and he seemed to always know exactly where to go against a team like that with that kind of star power on defense. He he knew where to go with the ball and he was not he did not shrink for the moment. Um, it's just he was overmatched. Um, very much like the Rams or sorry, like the Bucks and um, Chiefs game from last year in Super Bowl, where it's like. You just, you just didn't have the horses. Um, we'll see where his future goes. He's in the AFC. They're they're up right now as far as uh, the top teams, being the most, having the most teams that can like be contenders uh, right now uh, between the, the uh, Chiefs and the Bills. But, um, you know, if you can just get average line play instead of abysmal line play, which shouldn't be hard, that hard to do with that amount of cap space in the, in the offseason and, you know, attacking it in the draft. Um, if you just go from you know, a terrible fourth lineman, a terrible fifth lineman to just league average. They they should have a run here. Um, Jamar Chase is only going to get better. Um, Mixon, Mixon's really good. He's really damn good. He was their best player for for stretch of the game. Um, uh, Trey Henderson, that dude, that dude, that dude's got some dog in him. Um, Eli Apple, I mean, Eli Apple, we've all seen Eli Apple all around the league for uh, for his career. Like, he's a guy that gets picked on. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think there'll be a playoff team next year. Um, but, yeah, uh, congrats to the 2021 NFL champions. Uh, next, after that, I guess... Now that we're done with the game, we'll talk about the the other festivities, the halftime show. Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, 50 Cent, and Mary J. Blige. Um, 50 was a surprise. We knew about everybody else. Um, Got to say, like, that was right up my age, age bracket. I know there was a debate on Twitter today about whether or not Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg <laughs> uh, belong to the the uh, Gen Xers that they actually belong to that that uh, generation or to the millennials and I gotta say who gives a fuck like it was 1992 they made some great music um, and they signed some other acts along the way or found some acts along the way that kind of added to Do- the legacy of Dr. Dre as um, quite possibly the best music producer of the last th- 40 years um, I mean, NWA, his own albums, Doggy Style, um, some of the stuff he contributed to Tupac, like California Love, um, 2001, Family Affair with Mary, that's why Mary's there, you know, quote unquote, discovering Eminem, um, 50. Like, it was all on display there. Kendrick Lamar, all that was on display. And um, they all brought different things to the game, to their game um, last night. Like, I thought that, for me, my personal taste, I thought the Kendrick Lamar section of it was the best part. Um, us outside of the nostalgic feel of just seeing Dre and Snoop together, of course. Like, that's magic. 
You know, like that's seeing like Bird and that's like seeing Bird and Kareem together, right? Like <laughs> it just make you feel good. But um, I mean, and you know, in a, in a different genre, that that is Showtime for me. Um, like Chronic and Doggy Style, are like two of my favorite rap albums or two of my favorite albums of all time. Period. Like they both might be top twenty. Um, just I could those are albums that I could just press play and. You know, just let just let everything play out itself. It's just awesome. But um, yeah, it it was a great night for um for rap, if you if you want to say that. Uh, as far as the celebration of those kind of uh acts, uh, I will say, seeing Fifty Cent, seeing Dr. Dre, seeing Eminem, seeing Snoop Dogg, seeing Kendrick Lamar, seeing Mary J. Blige up there. All six of them have the catalog to do their own Super Bowl halftime shows. Um, and we all know that. But they're all together. Um, and I thought it was, I thought it was fun. Um, now, uh, as far as the Eminem kneeling thing in, in real time, when it happened, I thought nothing of it. I thought he just took a knee. Uh, I thought it might have been even in tribute to Tupac after um, Dre gets on the piano, which gotta tell you, maybe the greatest producer of of, uh, of my lifetime I had no idea he could play piano, and a lot of y'all didn't know that either. But uh, or you know, maybe he was practicing just for that, trying to show off. But uh, yeah, um, plays I am at on the keys for a little bit, and then uh, transitions over to uh, still Dre. Um, you know, uh, that was fun. That was really fun. Um, I thought Kendrick had the best like visual stuff, like the, with just like the, the marching stuff, um, playing all right. That was cool. Like I always liked all right. Even I don't really love that album as much as everybody else does. Um, I'm a mad city person, but, um, yeah, Mary, you gotta love auntie Mary. You got to, um, auntie Mary was out there looking Looking pretty good. She's looking pretty good. Uh, the vocals, I don't know. It's always weird when it comes to uh, the Super Bowl performances as far as like trying to mix all that stuff down and the outside crowd noise and um, the live the live band. St- at, and I got to say, like, I don't like the live band edition of rap songs. Uh, it, it is, it, it's a clash at times. It really is. Um this was done better than most, but it's Dr. Dre. Like Dr. Dre is a master of being ahead of his time when it comes to uh mixing techniques. So like, yeah, he made it sound good. Not everybody can replicate that. Like Dr. Dre has always had his shit sounding like it was top of the line music. All any and always, but that's not the point. Um 50 as a surprise was I was not expecting that. Was not expecting it. Um, a lot of people made a lot of jokes about his appearance and, you know, 50 was a bully for most of his career. So, um, I guess turnabout is fair play, but, uh, yeah, I was happy to see 50. Uh, but it kind of hit me the same way when I see Busta. I was like, oh, I remember Busta. I remember them dudes in a prime. Okay. They old now. And that made me question. Does make me like question my own mortality? Maybe, but Hey, um, that song was a song that absolutely, uh, should have been a, uh, a halftime, uh, a halftime, um, 
song for a Super Bowl for, you know, ever since it came out in 2003. So, yeah, um, it's finally got its just due. Um, and a lot of these songs, same thing as I mentioned, like all these, all of these legendary acts have the catalog to do, to, to do this solo. Um, they did together. You know, I think this is more about the legacy of Dr. Dre than it is saying, make it seem of we're, we're, we're boxing up all the black music and giving y'all a six for one. But, um, a lot of people, if you feel that way and felt that's, you know, with the Jay-Z thing and, and, um, them trying to use his name, the NFL's uh, trying to use Jay Z's name for these halftime acts as a way to uh, say that there's actually equity, um, or they're actually working to fight for anti-racism. Hey, have at it! They're getting sued right now <laughs> because they don't hire black coaches uh, or minority coaches. So have at it. Um, and you know, there's definitely something to that, but um. It was fun to see all six of them on stage. Uh, six people that all like I all enjoyed their music. Um, but yeah, uh, it's just few fewer things are more fun than seeing Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg together. Just 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 is for me um, in music. But um, yeah, I guess we'll move on from there. Uh, NFL or NFL NBA trade deadline got one blockbuster and a few other small things. Ben Simmons gets traded after not playing for the Sixers all year to the Brooklyn Nets for James Harden. <sighs> uh, I'm sure Rich will have something on this uh, on the next show we do. I'm sure it'll get brought up, so I'll be fast. Um, I feel like this is like the, the rare trade where like everybody won um, in a way. Uh, obviously, the Nets, they they – Kevin Durant and Kyrie, they really wanted to have a third star. And I think, you know, while they were all just, you know, when they played in that Celtics series last year, they were just offensively overwhelming. They were. They were like they were world beaters. They were going to cakewalk to the title until um, Kyrie went down and uh, Durant and I'm oh, sorry, not Durant, but Harden was playing on one leg with the hamstring. But um, I kind of like the idea of seeing two great players with a, a supporting cast that is worth a damn um, that can also defend and rebound and knock down shots and seeing the three stars is fun but I kind of like a balanced team um, that have traditional um, senses of responsibility uh, it's not to say there's no that's a right away wrong way to do it but that's what I prefer to watch like being able to watch a team like the Suns this year, which is, you know, they're just a more familiarized version of what they were last year because they're more accustomed. They fit better. They have more pieces. You know, they have a, more of a answer for size now uh, with McGee than when, you know, Sharp Sarge went down last year in the finals with a torn ACL. But that team fits and it knows his role and uh, they all play super hard. Like, I like those teams. Um, Superstar thing, like don't get me wrong, like Miami Heat team was super fun to watch when it was Bosch and, and Wade LeBron, but um, you always felt like at times like one uh, one of the stars has to like either sacrifice or not be able to show all they can do, or 
Like one has to do everything at times to try to, you know, offset some of the deficiencies on, you know, the spots on the roster, uh, four through 12. But, um, yeah, um, them getting, them getting Ben Simmons, if Ben Simmons is committed to winning and not being so about himself that to the detriment of his own team, I think that he could do some damage. If he just shows up and does the things that he does on a daily basis, even last year, um, in the regular season anyway, he doesn't have to take any tough shot. Like he could be a supercharged version of Draymond Green. Like he's already just like a person that can shut down one through damn near five. Let's say one through four and a half. Like he, he you know, eating trade <laughs> Trey Young's lunch uh in the playoffs. Um being able, being someone that you know you you will pick top five, top six to say, hey, Giannis is coming barreling down the down the lane, um, full head of steam from seventy feet out. You got to do something about it. Or LeBron, you got to do something about it. He's one of the few people in this league that actually might have an answer for that. Um, he's a special defender, he really is. Um, and him on the break, him as a rebounder, him as a passer facilitator. He does everything well except for he go put the ball in the bucket. Go, I need you to knock down a tough shot. He can't do none of that. In fact, he doesn't even want to do none of that. That's some of the great frustrations with him. That's one of the reasons why we all look at him and say, hey, like, there's a mental aspect to basketball and to sport, and it seems like you don't want to do any of that. And a lot of people feel like this is, you know, him talking about his mental health issues is his way of, uh, shirking responsibility. And we want to see him at his best. Cause we see all those tools that dude has. And, and that's in the size and, and gifts this man has. Um, it's been frustrating to watch when you see someone like, a uh, Joel Embiid blossom as a player over the last few years fighting through, you know, the the back injuries and stuff at Kansas and having to sit out and all that kind of stuff to get to where he is and to, to see what he had to put in to get this kind of skill set at that size, which is so rare, so rare. <laughs> and to see, like, Ben Simmons just not – doesn't seem to want to put in that kind of work to kind of, you know, um, become the best player he, he can be. And you kind of want to, like, do you want to be good at this? Um or not good, but great, like really great. Um, it, le- it, it you know, it kind of leaves you kind of, you know, frustrated. But uh, I think that him outside of, outside of Philly, I think him with some guys that can take some of that responsibility off him and some of the things and do a lot of things that he doesn't want to do and can't do. I think there'll be a lot of pressure just lifted off of him on a basketball floor and um, to see him just kind of, you know, flying around, I think I think they're going to be a really good team. I think that this team is a more complete team now. Maybe they're not better. They're probably not better because, uh, like, you know, anytime you have some, a, a team like that and you say, hey, oh, you you got to score 120 to beat us, that's a, that's a hard thing. But uh, I still, th- I still um, think that if they can get some type of commitment – to from Kyrie to um, actually want to play basketball as a full-time thing instead of a hobby. Um, 
I think they're going to do a lot of damage. Um, I mean, it's still Kevin Durant. <laughs> it's still Kevin Durant. Um, and Kyrie, he'll be there for at least half the games. What? Just imagine what it could be like if he showed up for all the games. Um, you know, and I think a crucial part of that trade piece was of that trade was getting uh, Seth Curry in there. Like, you know, Joe Harris has had these struggles knocking down wide open shots in the playoffs uh, the last two years, and Seth ain't gonna have that problem. Like, you 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 look at that and you see like, all right, um, you got Ben Simmons bringing the ball up the floor. KD, Kyrie, Seth Curry. Does it? Re- it doesn't really matter who the who the fifth person is. Like that is that is a lot of um. That's a lot of shooting. That's a lot of athleticism. Um, and that is a lot of you know uh, above average creation. Um, with all that. Uh, now and you know, him and him and Durant are going to cause a lot of problems offensively. Like. Uh, I, you know, Durant's not the player he was once he tore after he tore his Achilles defensively, but he's still a good defender when he's locked in. Um, and to put him with another, you know, one of the best defenders in the league, like Simmons, with that kind of lift, like, kind of gives you, kind of sort of gives you, like, OKC 2016 flashbacks. Obviously, they're not as long, but I think there, I think there's more versatility there. Um, now flip it to the Philly side of the trade. If I told you after Ben Simmons passes up a dunk and I got to have a moment in a playoff game with their season on the line, that they were then going to turn an asset like Ben Simmons where we thought like that dude's like untradeable because you can't trust him in the playoffs. And they turned that into James Harden after Ben Simmons does not play all year. And people are wondering, what are you going to do? Because Embiid looks like he's the MVP, and you looks like you're going to be flushing a year of his prime down the drain on a person that we don't know how much uh, wax it, uh, is on that is in that candle. They turn it into James Harden. It's a it's a success. Now I, I know there are going to be people that think, well, James Harden. He he's not the same player he was a few years ago. Um, guys, he's not trying. And <laughs> uh, one of the best ways you can tell what how committed James Harden is to playing uh, or to a team is if he's on the fi- on the floor playing. Like James Harden don't miss games unless he wants to fuck out of wherever situation he's in. Uh, it does think that this is now two seasons in a row where he's basically quit on two teams. Um, I'm not saying that he's innocent in any of that. Um, he absolutely goes on his resume and his legacy as a top 35, 30 player in NBA history. Absolutely does. Um, but what I will say is, would you want to deal with that if you were, uh, if you were, um, every day with, Kevin Durant hurt. You want to deal with like a person that's not committed to winning. Like last year, when he showed up in Brooklyn, he played his ass off. Like people were making all those jokes about the fat soon, all that kind of stuff. And then he showed up in Brooklyn, 
That dude was James Harden again when he was playing. Um, he had the hamstring injury, and we figured like, and he played he played two playoff games on one leg basically to make that work. Like that was one of my uh, game seven in that um, second round was one of my favorite playoff games of, of all time. Uh, to see the effort level that Middleton and Giannis and Harden and Durant were playing with, uh, like. I, you know, especially for someone like Harden, especially for someone like KD to think that these people are uncompetitive. You're, y'all out, y'all fucking minds. Like, they put it all on the line. They, they, they emptied the gun uh, in that game. Um, but anyway, coming back to that, Harden was convinced to come at, to be the third person on this team. He, he blows up his reputation. Um, and joins that team, a team that nobody likes, to for a fan base that doesn't have deep groups at all. Um, you know, like I'd have to ask Brooklyn Knight, but from what I see when I watch these games, is it's a lot of you know, it's a lot of people that aren't really native New Yorkers um, that are into this thing because it's a cool thing to do in town. Um, and most of these Brooklyn fans are still Knicks fans, right? Um, and that's the thing that'll, you know, that'll have to, uh, figure itself out over, um, over time, over 20 years of, you know, having a fan base and generations of fans, um, in the, in, in this really, in the team's relationship with the, with the borough. But, um, I think it'll sort itself out, but man, like after coming off that year and then they come back and then, and then you're, and then the Kyrie guy says, no, nah, not doing it. It's big. This is bigger than basketball. And you say that someone like James Harden, like, you know, to me, I, I, I don't know how Kevin Durant even stomachs that Kevin Durant is a hoopers, hoopers, hooper for him to say, Hey, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to play because I got something else going on besides basketball. I'm sure it's something he understands. Um, and something that James Harden stands like as far as like, you know, mentally, but emotionally and as far as like spiritually, nah, man, them, them two dudes that be on the court, busting their ass, uh, playing their hearts out, put, giving everything they got, playing, playing all these games, fighting over injuries and coming back. Not to say that Kyrie ain't had a commitment that dude, you don't, you don't, um, assemble that reel of, of skills without also putting in, uh, time in, in the gym, but we've seen it too many times where that dude's too quick to just say, just ready to drop shit. Any, um, any moment, any given moment to, to say that like that dude's all in the same way that like the LeBron's, the Harden's, the Kevin Durant's, the Steph Curry's are no knock against them. Like Vince Carter was like that too. Um, but yeah, I, to see Harden like check out the way he did, like, that's not a, he's let go of the rope. That's not a, he's washed thing. Um, you'll see it soon. You'll see it soon. He'll, <laughs> he'll, uh, when he shows back up in, in Philly and he's great again, I ain't going to say like, don't say I didn't warn you. We all know it's unfortunate. It's a part of the game now, uh, where guys, where so many guys are just willing to just eject, press the eject button and get out of their situation. But this is some of the owners, 
you know, this is a byproduct of an unintended consequence of the owners wanting to shirk or not wanting to be on the hook to pay guys big money. So, like, they want shorter contracts. Well, if you want shorter contracts, we're going to use our leverage. Players are going to use their leverage that are max players to do what they really want. Um, that's that's the thing. Like, uh, I thought that uh, Waz from the Ringer made a great point when people talk about the player empowerment uh, stuff ever since LeBron did the decision and went to uh, Miami. It's like, what do you mean by player empowerment? Like, they lose every CBA negotiation. Like, the owners, the owners dictate the terms. Like the players are working within the terms that that these player that the uh, that the owners have set up. You know, um, this is after all a job. Like I understand that. Like, uh, and Rich says this too. Like, it's harder to, to to watch the league and follow the league when like the cores that you grew up watching. Like you watch like you know the the nine late nineties. Pacers and Knicks and Heat all play together and lose and, you know, have these wars. And then, like, every three, every two, three years, like, it's a whole new squad of the of a new team that was built out of thin air. That was created in the lab, if you will. I understand it, even if I don't have that, um, that kind of uh, sentimental attachment to it. Like, I just want to see talent play hard and do some really creative, fun things. Um, but I, but I definitely get where he's come from is, you know, that's what we grew up on. Like the paradigm is shifting. Um, I, I don't know what you do to make people, I don't know what you do to make the top stars necessarily care about that, especially, you know, given these situations when it comes to, um, labor versus management, where predictably the fans always choose management. Um, you know, um, right now you, you look at it and we'll talk about it in a second, but, um, we're right now at this kind of, um, end of the road thing with Dame Lillard, it seems. And both, you know, the, the ownership and Dame Lillard are almost playing a game of chicken on who's going to say what needs to be said to, to end this and who is the fan base going to be mad at. Um, and Dame is playing in a way where like, y'all ain't finna boo me. Y'all, I, I'm probably not going to get a statue here, but, like, y'all ain't finna boo me and turn on me. Um, and they make it real tough for him right now. Uh, and I guess we'll get to that. Um, but, yeah, like, James Harden, um, before we get to that, like, James Harden and Embiid, like, the the kind of pressure they can put on the offense, on, on the defense is, like, do I really need to explain? Um, I think you're going to see a lot of the James Harden from – Brooklyn in the early days of Houston um, as a pick and roll guy like the ISO days I think that's kind of done I don't think he has um, the gas to do that as much anymore I mean I'm more to see what they do defensively with him I think he's going to be uh, buying with him defensively I wonder I wonder though um, you know James Harden's playing a lot of teams where they switch everything um, and that ain't no team you can't have nobody as big as Joel, Emb- Joel Embiid and switch everything just can't um, so it's going to be interesting to see how he adjusts to that. But, um, yeah, as far as their play, he, he answers a lot of questions. And Embiid, you know, a guy his size traditionally just can't answer at it in the last four minutes of a game. Even though I think Embiid for his size, um, that dude 
is the real deal. Like that dude is some him and Jokic both. Like those are two dudes. Like hey, seven feet, seven footers, big centers, or whatever you want to call them. Like you can't get to, get get them the ball and in, in, uh, in the game situation have them uh, make it happen. Those two can. Those two are unicorns. Um, but like putting that with Harden, um, it's gonna be interesting to see because like he's so much of a better offensive player than um than Simmons. Even even accounting for James Harden's list of playoff uh failures, he's still so much better than Ben Simmons uh in any uh crucial moment. So yeah, um I think this is a, a, a the rare all star for all star trade that pe- people are still in their primes and um both teams got better for it uh in in a sense. Um you know, I hope I I think that they're both in better places, uh, both of them, um, for for them personally. Uh, um, moving on, uh, we were talking about um, Lillard. So I guess we get to this trade. <laughs> the Blazers traded C.J. McCollum for Josh Hart. Uh, there are also some draft picks around it, but uh, there are also a lot of draft picks for uh, a lot of uh, trades for the Blazers where they just basically said, "Blow it up, we're done." Like, we're going to make it real uncomfortable for you, Dame. You have to choose. Like, you, you're 31, 32. Um, you're going through an injury-riddled season right now. Like, we're going to make it real tough for you to say you don't want to get out of here. Um, they, they've they've all but said, they're all but pushing them out the door. Um, and, you know, I know people may have made a bunch of uh, jokes about running from the, uh, you know, um, embracing the grind because that's what Lillard says. But, man, like... This is the end, and that team was together a long time, or that nucleus of him and uh, McCollum there for a long time, and Dane's been there for a while now. Dane's be- Dane goes back to freaking, you know, <laughs> uh, he dates back to uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, right? So I, I think it's over. Um, he's going to have to start looking at other play- or trying to figure out where he's going to go, like whether that's the Knicks, whether that's to, you know, wherever other destination, but he can't he can't he can't come back to that like he has to get out and it stinks and hopefully the fan base shows appreciation to know like what's happening like these aren't his decisions he doesn't want to do a reboot at 31 um but you know when you are out here with a a uh fire gm and you hire someone that was already in house you have a rookie head coach um, you just basically shed all the salary long term, except for Dame. You're trying to get Dame to leave, so um, it that looks like a team that would be up for sale, especially given you know, um, Allen, uh, the ownership, um, is uh is now with a widow. Um, Paul and died years ago, I think two thousand eighteen. Looks like a team that wants to sell. Um. Looks like they're getting their ducks in order and all that kind of stuff to have, to have a fresh new team um, to put on the tr- put on the asset uh, list uh, to sell off. But um, yeah, um, I think that's what it is. I think they're I think they're trying to get their their, their things there in uh, in order to try to sell them off. Um, We'll see what happens. I hope. I just hope that the Portland Trailblazers stay in Portland. Uh, they're a fun team, fun fan base. Um, like it would suck if they become the Seattle SuperSonics. It, it just would. Um, 
Porzingis for Dinwiddie. Man. Um, that Porzingis unicorn thing, like, they ended real quick, didn't it? Like, you thought, I thought that they were going to be a match made in heaven and been number hell for them. They never got the first round. They kept getting it, running to the Clippers and figuring out ways to lose to the Clippers in the first round series. Um, Porzingis was not, he's not nearly as good as he used to be. Um, injuries, a lot of lower half injuries. Um, I don't think he ever was the same after he tore his ACL. Um, Trading for Dinwiddie. We're going to see, man. Like, Dinwiddie and, and Luka could be volatile in, like, how long before, you know, even though we all love Luka and, you know, he could he could just shoulder so much of offensive burden. Like, how long before it turns into, like, doesn't work well with others because, Carl, you know, him and Carlisle had issues. Even though Carlisle is also, a, you know, a, a known person to rub people the wrong way and a straight shooter, a person that suffers no fools. Like, all of that turnover with um, Donnie Nelson Jr. and um, Harala Bob or whatever else. Um, like, the only person that's, that's around now is is him. So, you know, um, the Dinwiddie thing, I think it's not going to work that well. But, um, you know, pull the plug and start over and get yourself a bunch of a cap space in Dallas. I've, I've seen this move before. Maybe maybe Luka makes it more appealing, but like if you're a great player do you, or if you're a really good player that can man high do- dollars, do you want to sign up to be you know part of the Luka show? We'll see, we'll see. Um, so bonus for Halliburton. I'll be real quick on this because like I mean this is an Indiana Pacers versus <laughs> uh, Sacramento Kings trade. Like I like Halliburton. Like I feel like he is going to be a you know, third or fourth best player on a, on a, on a real contender, um, eventually, uh, obviously it wasn't going to happen in Sacramento at the rate they're going, but, um, I think it's a decent pickup for, for them. Obviously Sabonis is far ahead of him right now. He's older, but, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have traded him at the, at this stage. I just wouldn't have, like, I think that dude's a, I think that dude can be a gamer for you, a foxhole guy, if you will. Um, not to say anything bad about Demondis. Demond is good. He's really fucking good. But um, the Kings, the Kings made this play. It kind of is. I don't want to say it's win now because you know you know where they are in the standings. They're always at the bottom. Uh, but uh, we'll see what happens with De'Aaron Fox and the rest of that cast. And I gotta say, um, them doing the play in has made teams kind of. I don't want to say kind of. Um, but there are definitely people that are trying to get the 10 seed, um, in ways that I just thought like, why would you fall for the banana in the tailpipe? But like people, people fall for the banana in the tailpipe. They think it's some accomplishment that they can make it to a play in and, and get fucking smoked in the play in and lose. Um, it has definitely, uh, kept some of the outrageous tanking in, in, in uh in in at bay is in check if you will uh but yeah i i still think that's the bottom of the you know especially next year because you know the whole idea would be playing for next year with that kind of trade but it's like man the the clippers are going to be the clippers are going to be good again um you know uh but whatever that whole ownership thing just weird like 
I can't believe they've been this bad. Like for now at this point, like 17 years, they've been this bad, like 17 years. They've stunk like that fan base was so rabid in the early 2000s. And to see them just stink like this for, for that long, it's like, wow, like really like the last stand was, was Paige Stoyakovich. All right. Even half star players like cousins didn't, you know, didn't want to pay him that money. Let them leave, you know, sign them and then trade them off. Um, it's crazy. Uh, but well, oh, you know, oh, well, um, so got all that, got all, done with all that. So, uh, time to talk about some wrestling 46 minutes into the show, whatever. Um, WWE is trying to get Stone Cold Steve Austin for WrestleMania in a wrestling match. Um, what? Uh, word came out on Fightful today that they have reached out. Um, I, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that um, today, on Valentine's Day, WWE put out a promotional sell for WrestleMania tickets two for one, where I think the promo code was like love, like, like WrestleMania love or WM love or something like that. Two for one for the biggest wrestling event of the year. Sounds like a hot promotion, right? Um, so yeah, uh, they re- they're reaching out to Austin. Uh, the proposed um, program will be with uh, Kevin Owens. I'm assuming that'll be uh, pre- presumably over the use of the stunner. Um, Owens is a heel right now. Um, Austin ain't wrestled since like 2003, I think. It reached a desperation. Um, I would say at least they try him, but like with them, they have no they have no equity equity with me. Um, they have no credibility with me. Um, so it, it reeks of desperation, and you know at least they trying is like that's such a low bar. At least you're trying. Like do better. All that money put into this product, into these shows, into that talent. Be better, be better. Um, so you know that that's the that's the big story for now. Stone Cold Steve Austin has, has been reached out to for WrestleMania. We'll see what happens. Man, I, I would love to I would love to know that number. Like, could he could he get five million for a show? I think he could. I think he get five million for a show. I don't see why not. They got the money for it. They're not paying their they're not paying uh, their on screen talent as much as they should. They've been laying off people left and fucking right. Like what's five what's five million dollars uh after after this Saudi show that they do on Friday or Friday or Saturday? What's that? So yeah, um we'll see what happens. Uh before we leave off WWE after because we don't forget to talk about WWE, even with Rob Rich here, uh I'd like to point out and talk about uh a very good match. Um, a damn good match from Friday Night Smackdown that I, you know, I saw word of mouth about it and I said, check it out. Uh, Charlotte versus Naomi for the Smackdown Women's title. I think that's the best, uh, I think it's the best Naomi match of her career. Um, to me, it was kind of validating watching it and seeing, uh, seeing the match and, like I always thought that I thought for a few years now that like probably since 2018, like she was good enough to be somebody that you put in a challenger position or you put in feature, um, 
in the women's division, and it just never happened, and it was very frustrating, and it's one of the reasons why I don't watch WWE as, uh, as much as I used to. I was just like, this person's talented enough to uh, to meet the standard. Why is this person not getting this opportunity? Uh, why is this person like just on the back burner when you have to, you know, scrape the plate for some of these, you know, sorry motherfuckers? Um, like you, someone is not sorry. Like I don't care if she's been around a long time. Like people like her. Like listen to the reaction she gets at Royal Rumbles. People like her. It's okay to it's okay to let people be liked in WWE. Vince, I don't know what happened to you to where it made you think like that being inherently likable is actually a bad thing for you know a show that's built to the dynamic of people that aren't liked and people that are liked go to go to battle. I don't get it. But yeah, uh, Naomi, she her and Charlotte like that was a you know the Charlotte big match. You've seen them all dozens of times, um, and this wasn't the upper echelon of a uh, big, you know, great Charlotte match, but this was a very good one. Um, I thought it had a kind of a clunky finish, uh, and it made Naomi not seem like an actual challenger. But you know, let's be real, she's not. Um, they saw it as a good defense to have, and Charlotte beat her. Um, uh. And, but whatever. I thought it was a very good match. Um, I at first saw people going off, say it's four and a half, and then it made that's what made me go watch the match because, like, wait, what? Four and a half? Um, I gave it three and three quarters. Um, but it was a very good match. It's the best match that Charlotte, uh, that Naomi's ever had that I've ever seen. And, um, it's single in a singles capacity. And, like, you know, they've been doing this thing with Sonya. And I'm sure that'll lead to some match at WrestleMania, but um, or another match because I know uh, Naomi already beat her. But um, I'm sure she's getting she's getting something which is a lot better than the times where she was getting absolutely nothing. Uh, so I guess that's progress for her. But yeah, this is somebody that's like always has, has earned the right for more for a long time, and uh, they're doing something with her, so it's better than nothing. Um, after the match. Uh, Sonya comes out and her and Charlotte attack Naomi, which leads to a save from Ronda Rousey and um, Ronda Rousey um, makes a save for Naomi and she has a friend for now. And I'm sure they're going to do some some matches between Charlotte and Sonya versus Naomi and Ronda to lead towards WrestleMania. And like it is depressing and like this is all just a way to get you a person um, that may not be into the Ronda thing uh, to like Ronda because she's friends with Naomi this this year. You know, a few years ago it was Natalia. This year, I guess it's going to be Naomi. Um, whatever. They've done worse. Uh, do I think that they're actually friends in real life? Fuck no. But what, <laughs> whatever. Uh, maybe they'll come up with some type of cool name or whatever else. Naomi tends to, they, they throw her in all these weird, uh, tag teams and she's always made it work because like, she seems like such a, such a, um, warm, endearing, loving person. Like, you know, I remember when she was coming out here with the fake fur with, uh, with Oscar It's like, why does that even work? It made no sense, but it worked. Like she's that kind of person. Like she gives, gives off that aura of she's a fun hang. So, um, I hope for more for her. I really do. I always have. Um, so I guess uh, we move on to Dynamite. Uh, I thought Dynamite on Wednesday was a great show. Uh, I thought 
Um, I thought that they were there were two important talking segments, and I thought there were two great matches on it. And um, yeah, just go through it. Uh, the show opens up with MJF uh, coming out to celebrate his win over CM or CM Punk beating him in his in his words twice in one night, and him being uh, the best in the world, and not only best in the world, better than the best in the world. And uh, anyway, it, uh, <laughs> you get uh, MJ. I'm sorry, you get Warlow coming out to put up uh, like cardboard cutouts of MJF celebrating. Uh, he hands, uh, he's basically setting up the decorations. Then out comes Sean Spears and he hands Justin Roberts, uh, a prepared, uh, script of words to say, he reads them out. He says something along the lines of he, something that rhymes with bangs, the rats, uh, out comes FTR and, and Tully. Um, and then the, Justin Roberts introduces MJF. MJF comes out uh, on the joint. Uh, I think it's called a Peloton, where people are carrying him on a chair. And uh, he comes to the ring. He gets in. He celebrates with the guys. They're all super happy. Warlow is like looking at him, like, "Look at these fucking losers." Um, and he then proceeds to cut that promo. So I'm better than the best in the world. There's a better than the best in the world shirt that uh, that uh, Sean Spears says that he had had created for the moment. Uh, that's now up on pro wrestling tees. Like if y'all want to buy into that scam at this point, uh, <laughs> after what happened around Christmas time, have at it, but that's what they did. Um, so, uh, he said that like, he's uncrowned champion. He wants a shot at the title. Uh, CM Punk comes out and he says, Hey, um, I got some words for y'all. I got some words for you. Uh, Wardlow, it turns into, he says he wants a match with the person that cost him, um, a win last week. And it will turn to be Wardlow. He ends up bringing out Sting and Darby with baseball bats and threatens that he's going to, they, those three are going to beat everyone in the ring's ass unless he gets what he wants. And he says he wants a match with Warlow because Warlow dropped the ring. He's the person that's, that, that really beat him. Um, obviously it's some type of mind games, but MJF. Then says, you know what? Not MJF, but uh, MJF says something, and then FTR takes over, and uh, Bald says, I want a match. After we lost the trios match a few weeks ago, I want another match. And uh, CM Punk then like says, all right, we can do that. Um, So you're thinking it's going to be CM Punk with Sting or Darby versus FTR. MJF then flips the script and says... You can, if you can beat FTR, the best tag team in the world, then you can get another shot at me, but you can't uh, use Sting or Darby as your tag team partner. Punk seemingly agrees to these conditions, and um, they, pretty much, <laughs> they pretty much move on from there. Uh, before they moved on to that, uh, I believe it was Sean Spears told MJF that, like, you have a match. You need to go to the back and tape up now. So you need to have a match. You need to get out of here. Uh, I, I thought it was a little goofy in, a, in that way that like CM Punk comes out with baseball bats and threatens to beat up everybody with the help of Sting and Darby if he doesn't get it, get, get what he wants. And then like, he, and then at the end, ultimately he doesn't get what he wants. I'm sorry. You have baseball bats. Go beat their asses. You know, I, I thought... They, I don't think it was necessary to threaten that kind of violence for losing a match. He got beat twice in, like you know. 
I, I don't know. It was just kind of weird how they set the whole thing up, and it went like 20 minutes. Like it was a opening of Raw type of segment, and I thought it had his moments. Like MJF comes out and uh, and you know he gets a kiss on the cheek from one of the uh, women uh, that was that was on that was I guess helping him celebrate the festivities, and then he kisses the other woman, and it just turns to a makeout session. I I thought that was fucking hilarious, uh, but. Um, the way that Punk crashed the party, um, and then it turned into after he, you know, Babyface is dictating terms after being wronged, being, uh, cheated twice in one match, like for the hill then to just like say, nah, you're not going to beat me up. And also I'm not going to give you what you want. It's like, ah, that kind of stinks. He wasn't, he, he wasn't basically put over a, uh, put into a, uh, compromised position to actually have to concede anything. He just made up, he just like punk came out there, uh, with, uh, one that set his own terms and also he just flipped the script on him. And then he's like, oh, okay, boss. And he goes to the back, eh, whatever. Uh, so after, the, after that, you end up getting, um, <laughs> you get Andrade in the back uh with uh Jose's assistant and like he, I guess he has like a contract to officially uh get I guess purchase to procure the rights to <laughs> to Darby Allen from Sting and Sting and Darby are like bro you don't get it like we're friends like we're, he doesn't work for me and like <laughs> it's funny because Andrade's like nah you work for him there's no way with there's no way that this kid is friends with this old man it makes no sense uh but uh, Darby basically says, "Like, look, man, I got better things to do than than be involved in this confusion and riffraff. Like, I'm trying to win the uh, I'm gonna say NXT, win the TNT uh, title again." And uh, Andrade finally like gets to gets to the point. And he says, "Like, see, now that's the thing. Like, this is why it concerns me. Uh, all this stuff. Like, this is why you're involved because, like, I too want the uh, TNT title. So, uh." You know, I, I enjoy these funny, you know, who is this kid and why does he work for Mr. Sting? But uh, it, it actually got to the point uh, and where they were going. So, like, um, you know, the the potential of a of Andrade versus Darby or Andrade versus Guevara um, for the TNT title. Like, sign me up. Sign me up. Uh then we get the match when Warlow comes out and he squashes the blade. Um, when they t- when they push the button on him, like he, they're the crowd's gonna go fucking banana. Um, he has one he has one uh, power bomb, then he hits the next and the next, and the crowd gets is more and more into it with each power bomb. And like, yeah, man. They're into the Warlord thing. It's a thing now. It is a thing now. Um, get a video package from uh, Penta, and he goes to a graveyard. He he, he digs up a another mask, like a darker looking mask, special mask, and he it is basically uh, narrated by Abraham Tez, basically saying like, um, when Malachi spit in the mist on him, he awoke in something, and so like he's going to you know meet that kind of evil with his own version of evil. So like. I don't know. I didn't watch Lucha Underground. I'm assuming it's something um, involving like the arm breaker uh, version of a uh, Penta. And I gotta say, like, I hope he does. I hope he doesn't wrestle Cody with that because Cody basically knows so that arm break shit <laughs> like that. <laughs> Nothing. It's but a scratch. But uh, like 
yeah, Penta versus uh, Malachi. That sounds like a great match uh, whenever they do it. Um, so, next uh, promo, you have Jericho for the mandatory Inner Circle team meeting. Um, Sammy, Hager, and uh, Jericho all in the ring. And um, Santana and Ortiz come out last uh, with their own music, new music, by the way. And um, Santana cut a promo uh, basically with all the bullet points that Rich has highlighted uh, of why there should be dissension as opposed to like why there actually is dissension. Um, it, it was basically like Jericho, every time we've gotten, uh, we've always had your back, we never had ours. Um, Every time, just every time we get close to the tag team titles, which is what we want. Um, your personal shit gets in the way, whether it was the pinnacle, whether it was all the other fights he's had, with, like uh, Moxley, for example. Um, and he said, We're tired of it. And Santana says, If it wasn't for Ortiz, I'd drop you where you stand right now. Um, and I'm, and Jericho's kind of like me, just like befuddled. Uh, also along the way Santana said like Kingston mentioning this stuff kind of woke me up to the reality of the situation that you're a selfish friend and a uh, member of, of, of the group and you know you haven't let us you know kind of like out go out on our own and I'm thinking to myself like this is like a worse version somehow of like the MJ of, I'm sorry of the uh, Adam Cole and um, <laughs> an elite thing where it's like Y'all are grown men. Just fucking leave. Like, what are you... Like, does, does Jericho have y'all signed to these MJF contracts I'm unaware of? Like, I, does he have points on y'all? I don't... I, is it the 360 deal that Jericho has on y'all? Like, what do you mean? Why are y'all so mad at this? Like, y'all are wrestlers. Uh, anyway, I'll get to the point. Jericho is befuddled like I, much like I am. And he says, Hey, y'all got a title shot a year ago. Y'all blew it. Y'all have had title shots. Y'all have blown it. What does that have to do with me? <laughs> uh, and then, you know, because they're trying to make it less, uh, they're trying to make it um, a choose your choose your side type of feud. Um, they have Jericho at the end blow his lid and call them ungrateful or disrespectful and big league them uh, the way he was talking to them. Um, and, you know, um, then it turned into name calling or not name calling, but like, you know, saying the line. So, uh, you know, by the end of it, after they, they, you know, they come up on each other, um, and they're, you know, one, one or two, you know, mean things from one to snap on each other. Jericho says, you well, you know what? Like I, maybe I called the wrong two members of LAX. Maybe I should have called homicide and, uh, they're about to come to blows. Uh, Sammy breaks it up. Um, and then, Sammy's about to say something. Jericho tells Sammy to shut up. Sammy says, you know what? I'm TNT champion. I got two belts here. I don't need this shit. Like, I'm out of here. Like, y'all saw, y'all figured this shit in your own. Uh, and while this is all happening, it sets up a match between um, Santana Ortiz versus Jericho and, and Hager. I don't I remember last time. I even saw Hager Russell. Jesus. I, I don't know. It's been months, it feels like. But um, at least on Dynamite and pay-per-view and... Um, in Rampage, like as far as Dark, he, he probably won 30 matches on Dark for all I know, but yeah. Uh, 
it has it has some juice to it. Um, it has some juice to it, but um, I just feel like they got they just they just they pulled this one out their ass. Like, there's no reason for them to really be mad at each other. It's just something to do. But um, and I think that's kind of the thing that's coming on with Jericho right now. Like he's searching for some, for the next thing, and I, I don't think there's anything left. Like you know, in much the same way that we talk about with Cody, it seems like you know AEW has kind of passed him by. Like right now, Jericho has kind of been passed by by AEW. Um, like him as a mid Carter does not really work. It just it, it it doesn't work. Like him on top worked better, but can't be on top right now. You know, there's too many new guys that got to get in and settled um, or whatever else for next generation. That's the point of looking the way they've done. But I don't think there's really much left for him to do in AEW. Like, so when people talk about um, Jericho in uh, the WWE thing and how he's like, you know, being a carny or a worker, it won't be the worst thing in the world if he left and came back, you know, in three years, like maybe, you know, Three years might be too long for him to, you know, leave AEW and come back, right? Like he, you know, that standard of wrestling is totally different. Um, but I, as far as being a, a feature performer on a consistent basis, I think it might be better if he turned into a special attraction. I think it might be. Um, that's just my opinion for now. Uh, anyway, so next week it'll be. Jericho in Hager versus Santana and Ortiz. Uh, backstage, you get Rapongi Vice and <laughs> the Young Bucks uh, in, um, or sorry, the Super Click. Uh, they beat them up, and then out of nowhere comes Switchblade, Jay White, um, and he is a running Trent into um, the uh, semi trailer, and he walks off. Apparently, uh, he was invited by Adam Cole and the Young Bucks did not know about it and they were not happy. Um, uh, so, uh, the big draw of the show, apparently, um, the AEW Face of the Revolution qualifier, the mystery mystery opponent versus Isaiah Cassidy, the mystery person turned out to be just who we all thought, most of us all thought it was, Keith Lee. He comes out, new music, Music has no bottom, but that's side's point. Um, the I Am Limitless hits the gra- graphic, hits the screen. Crowd goes nuts. He comes out, and they all know it's him. The crowd goes even more nuts. Um, they start chanting Keith Lee. Um, match starts, and <sighs> Keith or uh, Isaiah he's po- pointing into uh, pushing uh, Keith Lee in the chest. Like, who do you think you are? That kind of stuff. Keith Lee grabs him, brings him into the corner, and then he he fucking Bill throws him into the opposite corner. And, like, I know some of y'all have watched AJ Styles take back body drops and just think, like, oh, my God, that's, like, the highest, most height I've ever seen anyone get off a back body drop. This is, like, kind of height <laughs> that, that Keith Lee got off this Bill. Like, he may... If he wanted to, he could have thrown him out the ring. Like him along with Isaiah Cassidy could have, Keith Lee could have threw and Isaiah Cassidy could have jumped and he could have went over the ropes. That's how hard he threw. That's how, that's how the height was. Like it was ridiculous. Um, Then you see Keith Lee do the, you know, um, 
leap or uh, leapfrog, uh, or sorry, jump down, leapfrog. Uh, you know, hit the ropes, hit you know, wipe them out with a with a you know running dive or running crossbody. Um, hits a hits a uh, springboard splash or springboard crossbody. Uh, you know, just did all the impressive stuff that he always you know did that got him over everywhere he ever was. Whether whether I saw him. And, um, and, you know, on the Indies and Evolve, whether I saw him in NXT, you know, whether I saw him with Brock Lesnar, having Brock Lesnar run the fucking ropes to get him over, like, the crowd ate it up, they thought he was a goddamn superhero, um, he looked great, like, I don't, I, I don't understand how we don't have Keith Lee versus Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar going to the WrestleMania, I don't, this, this fucking guy, like, I've seen this dude get over brand new and and now this is like the third this is the fourth fucking place I've seen him get over whether it was Evolve whether it was NXT whether it was the main roster whether it was now AEW like I've seen him in three different places get over in the first night three different times like get over like Rover like people thought he was like the next champion and in NXT he did become uh, the top champion became double champ like I can't believe they dropped the ball with this dude like this dude was as easy as let him come out there and be as charismatic, uh, swaggering, uh, self with all that presence and command and like, don't worry about stupid shit. Like if the crowd believes in him, don't worry about covering up his body and, you know, calling Bearcat Lee and turn him into a mean hill, whatever, man. Um, is their loss? It's our gain, if you will. Um, but yeah, like, Isaiah Cassidy sold like crazy for this dude and took advantage of it. Um, you know, he, you know, he, he caught, he caught a, uh, he caught Isaiah Cassidy on the floor and caught a dive. And then, um, he threw him to the ground. And then as Mark Quinn comes as a rope, he catches, catches him and basically like a power bomb position and power bombs him on top of Isaiah Cassidy. And it's like, he just did all the shit that he always did to get himself super over wherever I've seen him. And it's going to work. It's gonna, it's just gonna work. It just is. Uh, so, um, come back from a commercial break, and you end up seeing, um, you find out who FTR is facing with CM Punk, uh, or versus CM Punk, who's CM Punk's mystery partner. Turns out it's John Moxley, and like I don't recall them ever having a match where they team together. Maybe there was one in WWE that I'm just don't forget because that was you know seven eight years ago, but. Um, CM Punk Massey versus FTR. This was the FTR match that we, or style of match that we've seen them have with American Alpha, with the Usos, with, uh, DIY. This is their style of match. Like, I think, and I'm wrong, like, they have been very good of late, FTR. They've been wrestling their asses off, um, in these, in you know their situation. But this match layout, the twists and turns, uh, the tactics used throughout the match. This was a FTR match through and through. Like you know, every when you think of a Young Bucks match, you know what that looks like. This was when you've seen any you know any of the great FTR matches aside from like the one with the Young Bucks when you think of their great matches this is what their match looks like and it was awesome um John Moxley and tag teams like it's unfair he's always a ball of energy but like him in that setting where he just you know 
put the put the throttle put the gas down pedal down. He's wrestling. He's wrestling his ass off. He, you know, um, CM Punk's wrestling their ass off. Like there's a tower of doom. There's a destruct. Sorry, a, uh, uh, was it Doomsday Device from CM Punk in 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 Moxley? Uh, before they go to commercial break, FTR puts uh, Moxley through a table. He just barely breaks it. Makes a ten count. Um, they have the match seemingly won. Uh, where they were going to hit both their moves, the uh, paradigm shift and the. Uh, go to sleep. The GTS and FTR thwarts it. Um, there is a tease, uh, or there's a counter out of an escape out of a GTS, and it gets turns into a uh, what's it called? The Shadow Machine. I think they call it the Big Rig now. Uh, the formerly known as the Shadow Machine for a great near fall. Like this match was great. Um, they killed it. Like I want to see them. Res- I want to see them tag together again in the future. And like FTR, like. Whatever was going on, we were with them around the Young Bucks, whatever, like, weird lacking of chemistry they have, like, when they don't wrestle them, or they don't wrestle, like, uh, oddly, the two best tag teams in the world, uh, the Lucha Bros and, um, and the Young Bucks, like, you, you see them on a, on a more consistent base, like, they're fucking good, man. Like, they're fucking good. Like, they've always been, we've always known that, but it's like, when they came in, there were such high expectations, and I don't think they lived up to it. They just, to me, they just didn't. Like they had matches that you were like, they're good. We thought they'd be better, and, but right now, I don't know. I don't know what what's changed, but like they're 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 now looking like the tag team that we all thought they were. Um, but yeah, um, end up getting that that double tag that double finish that they uh, te- teased earlier. They end up doing it. Uh, paradigm shift simultaneous with the GTS. Um, I believe, let me look my, through my notes. Uh, yeah, so um, simultaneous GTS and uh, Paradigm Shift, Moxley Paradigm Shift's bald, Punk uh, GTS's hair, and Punk gets the win. Uh, after that, you end up getting the uh, TBS uh, title challenge. Um, or title throwdown or whatever they're calling it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jay Cargill versus AQA. Uh, AQA is semi-famously uh, the former uh, Xander Mir, uh who beat once beat uh, Tony Storm with a shooting star press. Uh, this match started out strong and then like it faded. Um, there was a lot of miscommunication. You could hear the ref like telling them what's next in the in the choreography, if you will. Um, what what's next uh, in the match to do? Um, uh, Zayn ends up hitting the shooting star press and um, after getting beat down for a while and outclassed, and um, Jay kicks and then she goes for another one and then Jay stands up. And then it like neither one of them knew what the fuck to do after that, uh, and it turned to a mess after that. Like there was a point where, right after that, uh, AQA gets thrown into the opposite corner by Jade. Jade is sitting there waiting for her to come out of the corner for her to do something, um, and Jade motions like, "Come on, walk out the corner." And then she, you can see her frustrated that she didn't move. She went and got her um, and hit her with a move, and then got her up and uh, finished her with Jaded. It was a squash match. Started strong, trailed off at the end, weird miscommunications or whatever else. Uh, but yeah, um, I do see Jay getting better as a technical technical wrestler. Um, I know people have noted that 
Apparently, she is um, working on some things with Daniel, or not Daniel, Brian, Brian Danielson of late. Um, but yeah, she, the start of that match, she was, she was strong um, with her chain wrestling. She was. Um, it just didn't work out by the end. But uh, yeah, um, Jade is now 27 now, I believe. Um, continuing the continuing the streak. Uh, next, you get the <laughs> the professor five minute challenge uh, or the five minute rookie challenge from Serena Deeb. She takes on a woman named um, uh, Katie Arquette. Uh, she you know she beats her in like one minute. Uh, puts on a Serenity lock. Um, I don't know what, who she's uh, being set up for next, but um, she's being kept strong. Um, like she's going to be like, I think she's found her niche as like a badass gatekeeper, um, for what, for both of these titles probably. But like, I wonder who she's being built up for, for the next thing. Uh, cause I don't really see any, um, big baby faces right now that aren't like cause Thunder Rose is headed towards, uh, Brit. Like there's, she has, you know, she has three matches in, in that whole, um, situation to get to. Um, Brit, if they if they so choose, like I don't think there's a fourth one, so I don't I wonder who it is going to be um, for for Serena. Um, then the main event. Um, I gotta say, uh, when I first watched this match, I was not impressed. Um, I wasn't impressed until the ridiculously crazy spot uh, from the uh, Archer's finish off the apron onto the still steps. Uh, that was when I was like, I was like, this match is okay. It's a walk and brawl plunder, plunder fest where they just, you know, bleeding all over the place because they played it. Uh, um, and then my opinion turned on it from this being okay or all right or good to this match is really damn good. Um, and then I rewatched it and I was like, maybe it's I was super tired, but like this match is more than just a walk and a walk and brawl plunder fest. Like this match was a well told story. And I now I knew the story, but like it was executed even better um, watching second time around. And um, yeah, like I was just wrong in a match. I don't know. I just wasn't into it. I was checked. I think I think the main thing was like I was just checked out mentally from blood. I'm I'm just over blood in AEW. It's not gonna stop. Like the the juices will keep uh, falling. I, I can guarantee you that. But um, it just you know double juice like. <sighs> It does something for people that it just doesn't do for me. Um, but yeah, like that's that's no knocking this match. Like, and I was just wrong on the match on first initial viewing. Like, it shouldn't have checked me out. Like, you're gonna there's gonna be blood in a Texas death match, James. You should <laughs> you should you should have came expecting it. But um, they brawl. They start off by brawling in the back. Um, they come through um one of the tunnels and the entrance ramp, and um, apparently. Archer had like a glass shattering setup in, along his inch, the hill tunnel. Um, Paige throws him through it. Uh, he comes out of it bloodied. Um, and they brawl around into the ring. Archer uh, throws him out. Um, by that time, they're out by the floor after Archer has control. And um, Dan Lebert comes out and he uh, starts unscrewing the turnbuckle to let down the top rope. Because can't do the buckshot lariat without a top rope, you know. Um, so Paige ends up um, getting on top of one of the um, gets on top of something in he uh, one of the walls, or if you will, and he ends up moonsaulting off of that. 
gets Archer back in the ring and he goes for the for the buckshot. But as he goes up, he realizes there's no fucking you know, cause he's been fighting really hard. He's realized what, what the fuck happened to the top rope. So, uh, from there, um, you know, there's shots with the, uh, with a trash can lid. There's a, uh, there's a choke slam through a, uh, a trash can that was, uh, laid out on the mat. Um, a lot of other stuff. Uh, also, um, before you go to commercial break, you see Archer pulls out one of those turnbuckle hooks and he, quote unquote digs it into Paige's head. Obviously Paige blade like crazy. Um so he when he come out of commercial break he has a huge crimson mask. Um so all that stuff's happening. Uh the um the choke slam through the uh the choke slam and everything like that happened with the with the crimson mask. Basically the finish comes um after they earlier teased that uh Archer set up two tables um on the floor um, and he was going to choke slam through him and he escaped, uh, eventually, uh, that was early in the match to get to the end. Um, Archer pulls out a, a bunch of chairs and he pulls out one chair that has a bunch of uh, barbed wire around it. Um, so Archer seemingly has match one. He's about to power bomb on this chair, uh, with, uh, the barbed wire, um, uh, but hangman grabs a chair and he uses it to, to, um, to, uh, bash it across Archer's head to get down and escape. And then, uh, he ends up grabbing, ripping off some of the barbed wire and wrapping around his arm. And he hits a number of, uh, tornado, tornado, uh, forearms and tornado elbows. And then eventually he takes it down after he's backing the monster up over by the tables he puts the barbed wire down. You know, the refs in these plunder matches, they always, you know, move shit out the way. So the ref naturally goes, bends over to try to move it out the way. He, uh, Hangman uses the ref bent over as a catapult to vault himself in similar fashion to a Butchart Lariat to vault himself with the flip and send himself, send him in Archer with the Buckshot Lariat crashing over the middle rope that's effect. The middle of the rope that's, you know, um, the, the highest rope through um, the tables on the floor. And um, they're both on the ground. Ref starts counting. Heyman uh, makes, his, makes it to his feet. Archer gets up uh, in a seated position by the 10 count. He can't make it. He loses. Um, another great defense for Hangman. He's on a roll right now. Um, this is not as good as his other, uh, AEW title matches have been the last, uh, from, you know, the, the title change to the two defenses against Danielson, but this was a great match. Um, I ended up giving this four and a quarter. Um, I think people like this more than me, but, uh, yeah, I, I was wrong with a match and, uh, hey man's on a, on a roll right now. Um, what this match does for him and, uh, as far as his, uh, his star level or whatever else. I don't know, but it was a good ass match, and then you know, um, he's a he's a de- fighting, defending, bleeding champion. Um, so that I, I'm sure that you know a lot of people um, are really into the cowboy for for that right now. I'm into him for his matches, not not so much the blood, but that's part of it with him apparently now. Like uh, Rich at one point in the middle of the match saying, "You know what? Hey, might just be a blood guy," and hey, he be a, if he if he's gonna have these kind of matches. I, I don't think the blood adds anything for it, but it does for other people. But these matches are great. So, you know, 
You gotta take people. You gotta take people for what they do. Um, if it, if it's still raw, so um, I'm with it for now. Uh, so let's move over to Rampage. Um, so Young Bucks versus Rapongi Vice. Uh, they had teased it for a while, and um, or not teased it. They ever they tried to have it, but you know, uh, Matt had uh, COVID. Uh, now it's time to do it, and they go straight to the action. They start in the ring. Um, that, or Rampage starts in the ring, and they had a hell of a match. Um, like 13 minutes of just action nonstop, and like they're all good together. You can see all the stuff they've done with each other for years and the chemistry they have with each other. Um, Young Bucks had new gear. I don't like as much as, the old, as some of the stuff they had been more they wore last year, but whatever, it's okay. Um, yeah, man, like, eventually, over time, um, the Young Bucks is basically, this match turned into super kicks versus suplexes. Um, and sometimes, and a lot of times, the suplexes were up. A lot of times, the uh, the super kicks were up. But uh, it was fun. Um, ultimately, uh, the Young Bucks get in position to uh, to do a uh, Indy Taker or Melzer Driver. Um, it gets thwarted. Uh, they eventually get back to it and they end up hitting the Melter Driver and getting the win on uh, over Rocky. Um, that leads to Jay White coming out and attacking Trent. Uh, Trent set up to have a match on next week's Rampage with Jay White. Match be very good. I don't remember if they've had matches in New Japan before, but they've bound to have rushed each other a number of times in tags and all those Road 2 shows. So I'm sure they have some chemistry. Um, Jay White should be looking to try to prove himself on the biggest stage he's had since uh, this year or in, a, in about six months. So, um, yeah, because, uh, you know, he left before uh, the G1. So I'm sure he's itching to be in this position again uh, to have a big match, a lot of eyes on it. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, I really like Trent. Y'all know this. So um, I think it has to be really good. Um, and, that kind of explains why they, you know, kind of gave Trent some wins since coming back as opposed to just making him just immediately like a guy that um, is one of the guys that's in <laughs> Best Friends is not Orange Cassidy. So, uh, you know, uh, they, they've teased, you know, the tension with him and or some some tension between him and Yuta. But uh, we'll see where this goes. I, I, I think that this is part of the story a part of the story like we'll see where he ends up but like i i i think they i think they're gonna break trent out um in some form of fashion is it gonna be some mid card or some upper card thing no but like it's a freshen up the roster it's fr- freshen up the status quo um so then from there you end up getting um rig starts on commentary and he uh, he calls out uh, uh, who do he call? He called out Dante Martin and talked about you know the the the, the ongoing team tabs versus Dante Martin thing over the contract and all that kind of stuff. So he let it be known that like it will be him, Dante Martin versus Hobbs uh, in a, a qualifying match for uh, the Face of Revolution ladder match. So uh, that's next week. That'll be fun because um, that'll be what I think that's our match. That's yeah, they're one and one against each other. So this will be the third match. Uh, uh, then Shivani interviews Daniel. Um, I'll keep on calling him Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson, and he, uh, 
you know, he said that people are comparing his office to, with uh, Moxie to um, CM Punk's, but he th- sees it as different, totally different because his long-term relationship, whereas uh, <laughs> the one with CM Punk is a one-night stand. Um, so then um, Lee Moriarty and uh, Seidel walk up and Seidel says he doesn't appreciate saying that he's going to take or he thinks that he could do a better job with Moriarty than Seidel already does. And um, they start arguing and uh, Moriarty said, hey, y'all ain't gonna talk about me like I'm not here. Like, you wanna talk about getting violent? Well, I'll show you, well, we can get violent. And then um, Danielson says, well, I'll see you in the ring next week. So I can't wait to see that match. That's Moriarty versus uh, Danielson. That's some shit that's right up my alley. Like the technical. Um, you get a short match between uh, a tune-up match, more or less, for Britt Baker versus uh, Robin Renegade. Um, Robin Renegade is kind of decent. Um, as a technical wrestler, uh, her look she she doesn't stand out. Um, but she absolutely knows what she's doing in the ring. When she was in there with Britt, and Britt can sometimes you know kind of be kind of get lost, but. I thought technically they put together a, a well-worked match uh, where Britt was the better wrestler and systematically shut her down. And I thought uh, Renegade did pretty well. And I thought that her, you know, um, her running ropes and her striking was, was decent. But at the end, ultimately, Britt gets to win. She ends up winning with, uh, I can't remember what she won with. Oh, she won with a curb stomp uh, after the match. I couldn't remember because I was like, didn't she put her in, in the lockjaw after the match? Um Jamie was not out at ringside cornering um, Britt, but Rebel was. Rebel hands Britt the glove, and she slaps on the lockjaw. Um, out comes Thunder Rosa um, to to break it up and you know put a beating on Britt because Britt has you know made all these fucking Machiavellian plots to to end uh, Rosamania, or uh, th- I'll say Thundermania to to appease Rich Thundermania, um, and the outcomes. Uh, Jamie to break it up and then behind her also comes Mercedes to break it up and they basically pull each other off each other to to all get a piece of Thunder Rosa and they're about to come to, to, to blows until Britt grabs them both uh, in a a unharmful side headlight on each arm both of them and kisses both of them on the forehead like calm down I thought it was cute but uh, yeah uh, she has those those two goons, those two thugs, uh, uh, in the way uh, of her and um, and Rosa, and it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how this all like breaks down because like that that ain't gonna last. That's a house of cards ready to just get tumbled over, and and Thunder Rosa is gonna uh, spark that shit just uh, blowing up in uh, Britt's face. So um, it's gonna be fun to see how that all unravels uh, more than over the coming weeks. Um, Next match after that, you end up getting. Oh, before we go to the next match, um, you get a video package with Layla Hirsch and this Chris Statlander, where Layla Hirsch says, "Look, um, me and Statlander are different. We have different paths. I'm serious. Uh, I'm more serious person because of my upbringing. Like I was." Um, I was left in an orphanage in Russia and before I came here, that's my upbringing. And it's Chris Statlander in the video where he gets her point says, 
if you had this kind of attitude as a kid, then I'm not surprised that you were left and uh, you were left up for adoption by your parents. And I was like, this is what we have baby faces saying today. Like her excuse better be that she's an alien. She didn't understand. She didn't understand what the fuck an orphanage in, in adoption is. Cause boy, what an asshole, like such an asshole thing to say that the scum of the earth, MJF liked a video of that tweet in approval of how evil a thing Chris Tatler said to this woman. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I understand people want to say, well, they're, they're, she's been jumping her. Of course, there's animosity. Yeah, I get that. But y'all were like friends a few weeks ago. Like, how, how did it go so far south so quick? Like, God damn. Like, I understand she, I understand she attacked you. Just beat her ass. Get it back in blood. Right? Like, you, you had to say that to her? Damn. Damn, you mean. Damn, you mean. Um, so, uh, next match after that, yeah, squash match. You got Hook versus a new, uh, I guess, uh, trainee in the, uh, factory, uh, named Blake Lee. Uh, Hook just basically, uh, threw him around, um, showed off, you know, showed off some technical, uh, stuff that looked really nice, um, shows that, showed his athleticism, showed his, uh, his, um, explosiveness, and, um, the only time, uh, Blake Lee even got anything in his match was off a distraction from, um, QT Marshall. Lee tried to take advantage of it and went, um, with a second rope, like, crossbody or splash, and, and uh hook just moved out the fucking way like you fucking geek like you basically pulled the samoa joe slash uh harley race out move and um then he i think he after that he just slapped on the tabs mission or red rum and got the win um so then they after that you, you end up getting the uh jurassic express versus gun club match um i do not like the ass boys um, but, uh, I will give them credit. They have instincts and their wrestling and transitions are there. The problem that they have is that they suck at striking both of them. Um, I think that Colton is better than Austin. Um, but it's not that much of a difference. Uh, they're kind of the same guys. Uh, it also doesn't help that they came out more or less wearing the same exact gear. Uh, I understand that it's a tag team. Um, but like, can you, you know, give me a different, uh, scheme and just keep, or, uh, a different design, but keep like the same color scheme, uh, whatever. Um, the, uh, the Jurassic Express, like they worked their ass off to get this match over, but like no one's buying it. There's going to be a title change. Um, and you, you know, they, they did all the, they did a lot of Codyism in this match, like, there's a distraction, ref distraction. There's a belt shot. Um, there is, uh, you know, um, Colton being uh, choke slammed into a crowd of, of plants outside on the um, by the barricade. Um, there is uh, managers uh, getting involved where um, Colton uh, is trying to steal a win with uh, using the ropes as leverage. And Christian breaks up the pin by pushing his feet off, which sends Billy Gunn to then like 
uh, grab Christian off of the apron and throw him into still steps. There's Christian later after the uh, choke slam out uh, into the plants, uh, getting his revenge on Billy Gunn with a spear. And then by the end, uh, you have um, Jungle Boy uh, hitting a kill switch on um, Austin Gunn getting the win. Um, which, you know, gotta say, if you can finish, if you can finish with, uh, <laughs> kill switches, you're a fucking geek. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't remember Christian beating anybody with a kill switch when I was a kid, um, watching an attitude era, uh, in 2011 when he became the champion and, and then had those awesome matches with, uh, with Randy Orton in the summer of 2011, like he, I don't recall him ever actually hitting the kill switch on Randy Orton. He kept always escaping it, and then um, you know after that his career was you know semi-retired to retired, and he was never actually hitting the kill switch for to beat people with it. It was always just a tease finish that people always escaped. Uh, and then like you know watch Stardom in 2019, like Sakishima, like the geek of the adults, the a prelimer. Like her actual finish is a co- is a kill switch. Nobody gets beat with a kill switch. Like nobody respectable gets beat with a kill switch. Uh, so, you know, I I get it. Like you know, uh, that's the person that's mentoring you. But like, I ra- I'd rather see the Thoracic Express. Just to be honest with you, just, just gotta be honest with you. But um, it it was a good match. I wouldn't say great. Wouldn't say very good. But I would say it was a good match. Uh, especially given um. The lack of experience from the gun club. I think they might have something. Like, will they be an upper tag team in five years? I seriously doubt it, but they're not they're not bad. They're not bad. Uh I think they're just more annoying than bad, but you know, whatever. Uh but yeah, um uh in terms of the uh 1H radio wars uh that were that we had planned for today, um we're going to do them later this week. I think the, I think the day was Thursday, but we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. Y'all, um, no starting this week. Uh, we'll get to it, um, next week. Um, in previews for the pay-per-view this next week. But, um, um, but thanks for listening. Y'all, um, be sure to rate us whenever app you're using. Listen to this with, um, go to our red circle and hit us up with a donation and listen to the other shows on the network. Besides One Nation Radio, we have Keeping It Strong Style, The Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Show, Grown Men Watch This Shit, The Grave Consequences Podcast, 8 Bit Suplex, All Things Elite, Great Match Generator, and AW Match Guide. Thanks for listening, y'all. Later.